views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Welcome to tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. Today's date is, or I should say, tonight's date is January the 9th, 2019. On New Abolitionist Radio, we take a look at the news concerning what we call prison slavery, made legal after the so-called abolition of slavery in 1865 in the United States. Tonight, we will have two special guests joining us. We will have Julius Pucci Morris and Charles Holman. Both have spent decades in prison, and tonight they will join our panel in conversation. But before we speak with those two uh, uh, men, we will briefly go over some news from around the country and, of course, our regular segments towards the end of the broadcast where we share our freedom from prison slavery as we welcome someone to freedom who has recently been released from prison and we'll also do our past abolitionists in profile as we pay homage to those abolitionists who came before us now let's go ahead and get started of course this program um, is a collaborative effort between the nonprofit organizations prison streets talk ministries and the black talk media project it is hosted by Tyson McCullum, Mother Khadijah, and Maxwell Mel- Melvins. And I am your moderator, Scotty T. Reed, and technical producer. So let's go ahead and bring our panelists in and, and get some uh, initial thoughts from them, see how they've been doing since we last heard from them on the broadcast. Everybody's mic is open. Good evening to the panel. Good evening, Scotty. You doing, Good evening. Good evening, my brother. How are you? I'm I'm doing the best I can under these terroristic yeah, circumstances. I wonderful, tell you. wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> doing brother. the best I can, my brother Maxwell. So yeah, let's let's um uh, anything happened since the last broadcast. I mean, there's always something happening, so that might be a little ignorant on my part. But has well, anything happened that has caught? Uh, either of you all's eyes this week that we don't plan to cover in the regular segment, but you wanted to share with our yes. listeners. The American Friends Service Committee headquarters out of North New Jersey just put out a report, a real report on uh, this First Step Act. And uh, 
you know, how they thought, you know, that it was a very bad move on behalf. Uh, and the reason for that was that uh, the only real people that are benefiting from this was Core Civic and these big conglomerate companies in e-commerce. And those are the only ones that's going to really benefit from, benefit from that because you only have the uh, 110,000 federal prisoners and how it doesn't affect everyone. And like the small, they, don't, they didn't really give up much in uh, in that uh, first step act, but everybody's saying it's a first step, so it's a little something. But as I said, the main people that benefited from this was GTL, Core Civic, and then as far as this re-entry and guys coming back home because they mm-hmm. didn't board up all the companies that govern, you know, the re-entry thing, as well as the, uh, the extended teleconferences and stuff and e-commerce are the main benefactors of this first step act in my opinion, as it was in theirs. And that's one of my issues that I had with the first step. And when I looked in detail about what it was really about. You, you know, Brother Maxwell, I was talking to uh, Sister Khadija earlier this mm-hmm. week. And yeah. I said that, you know, when I was reading a summary and it was talking mm-hmm. about expanding the markets, and I mentioned this on one of yeah. our, our other network um radio shows, Tando radio show, because he was talking about markets and slavery. And I was saying, you know, since you bring up slavery and markets, you know, I'm hearing some very troubling things about the expansion of the markets where where mm-hmm. where uh, goods and services made or provided wow. by prisoners will be will be expanded in the marketplace. So oh, absolutely. that's an absolutely. expansion of slavery. From my it is perspective. actually worsen, bro. Since they think this move in that first step act was no, all they did was to enhance the corner, the market, and the lock of what they already had, and they just did it in a nice way. They made it seem like it was a nice way, but it's the same thing as always was the mass incarceration because of all the little things stopping the people from being able to write letters. You have to send your letter to another company on return, makes a copy of it, and then sends it to the prison. You know? So right. This, right. this is terrible. This, this is terrible, bro. It's really terrible in my opinion. Yeah, um, we lost uh, Sister Khadija and Brother Tyson. Hopefully they'll yes. be calling calling back in. But, you All know, right. when I first heard about the bill, Brother Maxwell, I was, yes. saying, I was saying to myself um, that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's good that they're going to mm-hmm. roll back some of the sentencing and change some yeah. of the sentencing guidelines, yeah. and some people going to get out of prison because yeah. of that. It's a good thing they're not going to be mm-hmm. shackling yeah. pregnant women uh, yeah. to the, to yeah. the bed and and all of that, and not putting juveniles yeah. in some yeah. cases. Yeah, okay, those are beautiful. Those yeah, are beautiful. those are beautiful. Yeah. But when I heard people talk about, well, they trying to get a poison pill to derail this legislation. Well, I'm looking at the legislation as passed and you know, you're sharing new information with Mm -hmm. me and the listeners. But that when I read about that prison, you know, uh, expansion for the markets, for the products for, you know, made by the prisoners, I was like, Nobody's talking about that. And I told Sister Khadija, exactly. I'm going to have exactly. to ambush one of these people. Let me change my language because mm-hmm. we on air. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm not going to ambush you, but I would like to bring someone on like Van Jones or whoever had a role in this. And I want he you to break down. Da- yeah. It's going to yeah. be a very different opinion. Yeah, break down for me 
what you mean what this bill means by expanding the markets where this where these goods and services by prisoners will be sold yeah. you know because i don't yeah. view that as a good thing brother now Maxwell. if there was really any true prison reform in that bill it wasn't uh really prison reform. It was a few prison conditions but if there was truly any real prison reform or criminal justice reform in that bill they would have made the the things that obama them did in 2010 they would have made it retroactive. Right, right. If there was true, true <clears throat> prison reform, as I said. Oh, right. You know? And that's, that's just something they sold out, and everybody was so caught up into that month. That first step, it is political. It's political with that first step. It had a lot to do with politics. When I say politics, it had a lot to do with votes. You give me this, we give you that. We give me this, we give you that. Right, right. And again, uh, the, uh, Mr. Uh, the president's uh, uh, things and benefactors are, again, those companies. Now, if you look up those very companies right there that have, is going to be benefiting from this, because they brought up a lot of other markets, if you look that up again, you will see how much they gave to the Republican Party, to the campaigns of the Republican Party. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And they're uh, giving out large sums of money. Yeah. It, uh, Sister Khatija... And Brother Tyson may have some comments on this. But let me say this real quick, uh, panel. It sounds just like when we heard about states legalizing cannabis at the mm-hmm. at the state level. Well, yeah. first first of all, though, they allowed their rich, wealthy, corporate people to get all mm-hmm. the licenses and, mm-hmm. and be exactly. in the better position mm-hmm. to make all the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when they legalize it, but they didn't let all yeah. the brothers and the sisters who might have been no, selling cannabis to survive out the prisons once they legalize. Because they're claiming, yeah, and, and look, these are the banks. You didn't legalize something again. You didn't legalize something that people have life sentences for, and then now that's become legal because you're making money off of it. Look at all the people around that was torn and destroyed for some weed, but apparently you don't find that much was wrong with it since you legalized it. Right. Sister Khadija, did you you said you wanted to comment uh, coming from the females perspective? Right. Uh, In regards to the first episode, um, we know that it's only the beginning um, scratching the surface Mm -hmm. of incarcerated women. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to deal with pregnancy, menstrual Mm -hmm. health, and Mm -hmm. these are all things are going unaddressed from the federal prison side. Mm -hmm. And we know the First Step Act didn't address the solitary confinement against pregnant women and an adequate provision of OBGYN care, that's not going to change. And you think mm-hmm. health-wise, that would be one of the things that they would address because we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, premature births and just, you know, inadequate yeah. provisions affect all of that. Mm-hmm. So they're more concerned about having access to sanitary napkins and tampons instead of trying to make sure they have proper medical treatment for their OBGYNs. And not just for that, but they were making them pay. They were making them pay for that. They had to pay right. for their sanitary products with the men on the avenue, getting their own sanitary products for free. And we know the need of the importance of women having those particular products. They were charging them for it. Right. And most of the women behind bars, they're not really going to benefit from this act, mainly because most of the majority of women that are incarcerated, they're in a the state and local facilities. So that, mm-hmm. I mean, Again, yep. they didn't really want to really make but too many changes mm-hmm. they just wanted mm-hmm. to do a little bit of something to let us scratch think the scratch, scratch the surface and a lot of things aren't covered by the legislation at all such as the federal immigration detention 
-hmm. and other number of transgender prisoners in the federal men's facility. They're not yeah. even covered by the legislation at all. So these are they're not what? They're not, they're not covered by legislation. Okay. Oh, so they just they just implemented some uh, as a matter of fact some new legislation that in there they are required to ask them what their gender is. And it, it must go down on paper as such. Right. Okay. Um before we move on to our news stories, uh, as we got about seventeen minutes before our guests are scheduled mm -hmm. to join us. Uh, did Brother Tyson have, have any comments on this before we move to our news stories? Well, she she pretty, Mother Khadija pretty much covered it because I had the same concerns and um, things of that nature. But it's, 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 it's a shame how, how they treat these women in there. Yes, they sir. need to be, they need to, you know, step up the, the cautiousness of how they treat these women because these are are, are kids' mothers, mm. you know. And if you can't provide the right the right health care plan, as far as allowing these women to be able to have hygiene products, um, as needed, as far as tampons and you know things like that, then you know where's the inmate funding going? So if they're not properly using inmate funding to be able to to give these women the things that they need, such as having OBGYN being able to be seen on a regular basis and having a a, a, a care provider who's, who's strictly their own doctor who who or is is able to be able to monitor these women's health. So that's you know that's that's a major issue. Yes, about, I would it's agree. It's always been about medical. Mm -hmm. Yes. Guess, guess who the market is dominating? Guess who the population is increasing is most women right now is with over the rate of men now. These are the largest majority of your thing now, women. Right, right, right. Um, I'm yeah. sorry, I had to mute y'all. We were getting some feedback from your line, mm -hmm. um, so I, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll bring y'all back up. But first, mm -hmm. let me go ahead and share first this news article and then get y'all brief comments and again let's please yeah. keep our comments brief but y'all heard of mm -hmm. Kamala Harris she's been on my radar since uh, her time as a California Attorney General for people who live in mm -hmm. California they may mm -hmm. uh, remember her as a district attorney who tried to put mm -hmm. the parents of truant children in jail mm -hmm. well here's an article that came out she's talking about running for president so Color mm -hmm. Lines published an article um, it was Pub, uh, yesterday, she published her memoir, The Truths We Hold in American Journey, and it reads as an attempt to reckon with her past ahead of the 2020 presidential election. Let me read this. Wow. It's a presidential yeah. campaign, and every aspect of a candidate's record is going to be scrutinized, and they're going to have to answer for it. Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Pur Public Service Director Mo. Um, Alithi said she knows that her criminal justice positions are something that's heading her way and a good candidate is one who doesn't wait for it to hit them. A good candidate is someone who addresses it proactively and she appears to be doing that. Now I'll leave it there. I'll post this article on our new abolitionist radio Facebook page so other people can get at it. It's also in our abolitionist group on btrcommunity.com Now um, let me just say this real quick and then we'll go get our brief comments from the panel. I follow a lot of these people on Twitter and I 
do am not shy about reminding Kamala Harris about those prison slaves fighting fires um, in California for $2 a day um, and the fact that when she was California Attorney General, her office argued at the Supreme Court level to not uh, um, release prisoners to ease overcrowding because her office, and I quote, stated that it would deprive California of a cheap labor pool. Maxwell, did you have any comments on this story, Maxwell? Oh, okay. Not hearing you, Maxwell. We'll go to Khadijah and Tyson. He said that brothers in the organization Cut 50 now have taken an initiative where now they get a bill sponsor where these guys will be getting jobs coming up where they weren't giving them jobs. Remember, they could fight all the fires they wanted to fight, and if a lot of us coming on and trying to apply for jobs, right? And they were telling them they weren't qualified, but they were qualified while they were in there. At that, uh, You're talking about the firefighters? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. so I'm just saying now they're taking initiative to sponsor a bill that these gentlemen will be able to come out now and be hired as firefighters. So that's a good part in, 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 in way of that, if that can actually happen. And if it does come to fruition, that would be good. In terms of the presidential race, though, if she yeah. does declare, um, I'm wondering if the mainstream media will really bring up some of her past positions. Now, I'm not saying that people yes. can't change their mind on the issues yes. over time. Mm -hmm. But she got yeah. some pretty big issues in my mind to overcome. Mm -hmm. Sister Khadijah or, or Tyson, did y'all have some comments on that? Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on something that you said about, the, um, you know, you know, prison state pay and how, you know, you know, they got these people doing this labor. And I just came home from the federal prison. And our phones keep fading in and out. 22 cents. I was making 22 cents. And 22 cents is not enough to be able to maintain, you know what I'm saying, when you're getting paid $21 a month and you're working hard. And, you know, that's, that's you know, you need hygiene, you need food. You know, that's you want to put money on the phone and call your family. That's not enough money to be doing all this labor and, that, that these guys do. The cooks is probably... About a hundred dollars home a month, you know. Then you got a, a level two, two, and a three, and a four, which probably only making between, you know, twenty dollars a month. Right, right. So, so you know, it's so yeah, yeah. I, that's why we call it prison slavery. And for those who uh -huh. think that that victims of slavery prior to 1865 did not get paid where well, I'll say you didn't study uh, slavery during that period enough because some of them, not the majority, but some of them were, pay were paid because they had special skills and were able to save up money and purchase their freedom. So we still dealing exactly. with the continuation of slavery. It has not been abolished. Real quick, two, I'm, I'm going to keep these stories, uh, these two real short because we only got 10 minutes for our guests, but they're yeah. related. And this ties yeah. into the title I picked for tonight's uh, broadcast is um, criminal justice reform sweeping the nation because we, yeah. t we spoke about, you know, the First Step Act. 
that's only limited to federal prisoners. Yeah. And the majority of prisoners are in these states. And like Brother mm-hmm. Maxwell correctly pointed out, you know, it's no longer the black male who is the the number one, you know, target that's going into uh, uh, these state prisons. It's women. And a lot of them are women with children. You know, that has increased. I think their numbers have increased by over 700 percent, you know, in the in the last 10 years. So anyway, there's some reform coming at the state level in both Mississippi and Massachusetts. So let me share these brief excerpts real quick. All right, first we're going to go to Mississippi. Lawmakers are promising changes to Mississippi's criminal justice system that could include support for prisoners to re-enter society, ways to wipe out records of past convictions, and sentencing relief for prisoners convicted before an earlier round of changes. Both Governor Phil Bryant and House Speaker Philip Gunn have said changes to Mississippi criminal justice system will be among their top priorities for the legislative session, which begins again on Tuesday. However, top lawmakers remain vague about what they hope to accomplish. House Corrections Committee Chairman Bill Kinkade, a Bahalia Republican, says he plans a joint committee meeting with the Senate Corrections Committee in late January and will be ready to talk about more details at that time. Now, moving on to Massachusetts. Reformers consider next chapter in criminal justice overhaul. No matter how they described it, lawmakers and advocates involved in the passage of the 2018 criminal justice overhaul agreed Tuesday that their work was not over, pointing to elements of the new law that have not taken effect and other reforms to pursue in the future. I think a lot of this implementation is about holding the judicial system in the executive branch and prosecutors quote, and I'm quoting, sort of accountable and also supportive of implementing these reforms, said Eldridge, an action Democrat who co-chairs the legislature's criminal justice reform caucus with Representative Mary Keith of Worcester. So that's news coming from the state. I'll just say this and we'll go to the panel to get their comments. In Massachusetts, if you're talking about holding somebody accountable, I would accept nothing less then the prosecution of prosecutors who engage in official misconduct. That's how we got a lot of innocent people in prison today. If you ain't talking about that, then you ain't talking about holding nobody accountable. We'll go to our panel. Somebody has to hit their mute. I can't hear that. Somebody has to hit their mute. There's a lot of noise in the background. Maxwell, did you have some comments? I didn't hear you, my brother. Did you have some comments on the stories oh, I just yes. shared? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm saying, you know, in, in, in reference to what you say, in all fairness, there are some progressive states that are, uh, are, are taking those measures. New York was the first in the nation as far as holding these prosecutors accountable. They now have a commission on that. And New York was the first in the nation, Cuomo governor, implemented that into law. Exactly what you're talking about, about the prosecutors being held accountable and have to be prosecuted and uh, handled accordingly. I just wanted to light you in on, on that law right there that just took effect in New York about three months ago. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, shout yeah. out to the New York a- abolitionists. You know, this is why, especially people like yourself, our panel, Khadijah, 
and Tyson and, and the work that you do because a lot of these issues would not get addressed, would not be known if not for the grassroots advocacy putting pressure on these legislatures to do things mm-hmm. because as we yeah. talked about, you know, yeah. most of the problems when you, if you're talking prison slavery or if you call it mass incarceration is at the yeah. state level. Would you agree, Sister Khadijah and, and Brother Tyson? I agree. The issues I'm having with like prison reform is the impact it has on families and the community because uh, we know it seems like they have issues with human and financial resources, but it impacts not only the individuals, but with the families and communities, but it affects the economic factor. And those things, all of these things have to be taken in consideration when they're talking about prison reforms. And when you're dealing with human rights, for example, you know, the sentence, a sentence of imprisonment really um, constitutes only a deprivation of the basic rights to liberty. So they're not even covering the basics of human rights. It doesn't entail like the restrictions of other human rights. Um, it's just necessary to protect people, to deal with their social reintegration, if that's increased. And just being in compliance in general with the with the laws and the standards, and then we addressing the imprisonment poverty. You know, a lot of families, you know, it could be the head of the household that that gets incarcerated. So that that generates poverty. And when an income that's the, the income member is in prison, then the family has to adjust to loss of income, and this impacts the entire family. And there's no no backup for that. You know, you got to adjust and. And deal with it, and you know that creates a whole different different problem. And then we already talked about the public health, but from the consequences of being in prison, a lot of these prisoners already have health issues before they go to prison. And you know, that with the prison system, that it's so poorly um, driven as far as with their health conditions, that the prisoners deteriorate mm-hmm. because of the overcrowding. Their nutrition, the, the nutrition health, is not being. Um, uh, taking into consideration and not even having access to fresh air and exercise you know you need all that stuff to be to be healthy and when you're limited with what you could do on top of the diseases that people go in you know there's people that have psychiatric disorders HIV ter- TB hepatitis these aren't being addressed so when you don't take all of that consideration how do you expect people to come out and deal with that so it's a lot to deal with prison reform the social impact, there's just so much stuff, detrimental social impact, you know, we know how important it is to be um, um, acquitted back into society, and it's just overall, it's, it's like the thinking process, everybody always want to promote reform, promote reform, but they're not taking into consideration the basic factors mm-hmm. into how do we address these. These are, you know, you have to have proper solutions to these issues in order for it to be a successful program. Yeah, it, it seems to me, though, a lot of the focus is on resentencing reform or sentencing reform and, and changing this rule or prohibiting this or, or that, you know, pretty piecemeal. But one of the things you said really, you know, caught my ear was, you know, we're not dealing with the basic human rights of people. We're, we're still ignoring a whole lot when we, you know, ignore their human rights and what have you in and, and even you know to me reintegrating if you did your time let's say you actually are one of the people who did something to get yourself in in prison now 
Once you've done your time and so-called paid your debt to society, all your rights should be restored, in my opinion. And and so this piecemeal stuff about we're going to create this program and, and, and that program, you know, it's just, it, it, it just seems inadequate to me, but I, I could be wrong. Did, did Brother Tyson, uh, Tyson have, have a comment on, on those stories before we move on? I believe we have our guest yeah. on the line. I just want to pick up where you just left off when, when, when you talk about, you know, how, you know, like, like I said, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a very perfect example of what's going on because we ain't never finished paying for our crimes. Because they take them crimes in federal prison, they use them crimes that you paid paid your debt to society for, and 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 add points on it. So you continually getting points for a crime that that you already paid your debt to society for. So you know, to be honest with you, brother Reed, you never done paying for the crime that you committed in the past. It's, it's, it's just how they they handle that. Right. You're never done paying for your crime. Right. I, I, I would agree. Well, I mentioned at the top of the broadcast that we had two uh, guests tonight. Um, let me make sure. Give me just a moment. Let me pull up my notes here. Make sure that we have because um, I'm looking at the phone, the phone numbers and. I see one of the guests, unless the other one, Mr. Holman, is on a different line than what was given to me. He may be there, but but listen, we we are scheduled to be joined by Julius Pucci Morris. I, I got a first cousin, that's what we call him, Pucci. That's his nickname, too. But Mr. Julius Pucci Morris... Um, as well as Charles Holman are scheduled to be with us. I know we have Mr. Morris on the line. Mr. Holman, if you are there anytime you want to join, just hit star, star, that will unmute you. But I want to go ahead and, and unmute the line of Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris, welcome to New Abolitionist yes, Radio. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, sir, for having me. You're welcome. So at this time, I want to turn the program over to our panelists, uh, Sister Khadijah, uh, Brother Ty- Tyson, and Brother Maxwell. It's all yours. Okay. Thank you, Brother. Thank you, Brother Holman, for coming on, and um, thanks to Maxwell making this connection, because we understand that, you know, your involvement with with the prison system directly, and, and you've done decades Yes, ma'am. I'm getting a lot of stag, but yes, ma'am. You hear me? I I can hear you, sir. Sister Khadijah, if you're able okay. to call call us from a phone because we're getting a lot of feedback off of, of your mic, and that could be due to the speakers being too close to it. I don't know what's going on, but we seem to get a lot of feedback. Can can you do that, Sister Khadijah? Can you call us uh from from the phone. Okay, she's going to call us from the from the phone. Brother Maxwell, as we wait on her, will you take over, sir? Maxwell. Check your mute button, Mr. Maxwell. You might have yourself muted. Oh, how you doing, my brother? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Maxie? 
I'm all right. I'm glad to have you on there, my brother. You know? I'm, honored. I'm honored to be here, and I'm kind of concerned that the only thing I really brought to the table was a lifetime of prison, you know, yeah. a lifetime of confinement. So yeah. I brought that to the table, and I'm willing to share and do what I can to any of us from not being that. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate yeah. that you coming on to share the information and knowledge, bro. After spending decades in there, you know, you, you know, yes. to share some of the information and your views of, you know, everything that's going on right now with this system and mass incarceration and reentry and all those subjects. Okay, well, what you said was what's going on with this system right now. It's been going on for a while. Because yeah. uh, your brother and I and a bunch of us are 12, 13 years old. We was already in state institutions. Yeah. They, uh, they, uh, we was the baby boomers, and they, they grabbed us. Just like recently when the counties was overcrowded, back then in the 60s, the youth houses was overcrowded. Mm-hmm. They were snatching us up. They had us sleeping in hallways on bunks and cots. They had us sleeping in the hospital because they was just snatching us up, right? Mm-hmm. And sending us into these institutions, right? And uh, we, we, we was raised up in them. Like um, I said, from 12 to 55, I was never on the screen a year, and a lot of the guys who grew up around me, the same situation. We was inside them institutions. Uh, gentlemen, this is uh, your moderator and technical producer. Um, if if you will allow me to interject, let me check and see if this is uh, Mr. Holman. Uh, Mr. Holman, do okay. we have you on the line, yes. sir? Yes, you do, sir. Okay. Hey, Dino. Okay. Hey, what's going on, please? And we should and, uh, have... Excuse me for a minute. I'd like to say something. Brother Mars, I would also like you to explain the opposite position. You have also worked for the system, which is very important. Well, uh, yes, I came home uh, after doing 27 years this last time, and uh, within six months, I was working for the state of New Jersey uh, Juvenile Justice Commission. Uh, it was a great thing. It was up under the leadership of a man named Mr. Howard Byers, who had knew me from inside the prison systems. Right, so he he fought the attorney general and all these people to get me on because I was still on parole at the time, still is. But you know, so uh, I was able to get hired, took the civil service test, and worked with them. Right, but my problem arose with them because I tried to explain to a lot of the people working there because I made supervisor that I'm on a mission and y'all on a job. It's two different uh, scenarios there, right? I'm there to try to save the boys. They there to get the paychecks. So their mindset was we don't care what happened long as it don't interfere with my check, right? So I tried to, uh, you know, I had a lot of uh, beating heads. Uh, I'm getting beaten ahead. They're getting beaten ahead because I'm trying to change policies because a lot of the things that they was implementing, I knew didn't work because they tried it with me as a juvenile. So I'm not going to be feeding these young men uh, information that I know is not going to be uh, beneficial to their growth and development. So I was having a lot of problems because they talking about, well, you got to do this, you got to do that. No, I can't be there feeding information to people that I know not going to work. 
So, yeah, I'm with both sides. I did a lot of things since I've been now trying to do that. And my goal as the rest of all my, my generation, I learned from men uh, as I hit that prison as a young man, uh, Dino on the phone, he was one of them, you know, that we sat down, we got counsel from them and directions, and I'm proud of who I am today. No. Yes, absolutely, brother. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you. And yeah, I'm trying to let Dino get in. Yeah. 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 Well, brother uh, uh, Charles, uh, Dino, could you come on in, brother? And yes, explain sir. who you are and your, and your role you have played as far as a prison rights uh, leader and all that. Even, you know. Yeah. Um, um, I started out basically just like Poochie and, and everybody else. And um, when, when um, I entered um, the system, uh, in the county jail, um, my brother, you know, I had a, 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 a bell that was just incredible, and I wasn't able to make bail. So my brother said to me, said, okay, we can't help you get out on bail. What else can I do for you? So I told him, I said, bring me a New Jersey court rule book. And back then, Epley Belly was very popular. And I said, bring me the book of forms by Epley Bell. And I started becoming a paralegal at, at that time, what they called then the jailhouse lawyer. And uh, I ended up becoming an advocate. I got convicted, went down to the state prison in, in the late 60s, um, <clears throat> and continued to hone my skills down down in the prison because I had a lot of people to practice on. I'm sorry to say that, but there were prisoners there that didn't know anything about the law, didn't know anything about anything. And I went to work in the law library and I was able to hone my skills by helping them get back in courts, overturn convictions. Um, you know, I just became just a prisoner advocate. And eventually I became a thorn in their ass. You know, um, I ended up on the what was called uh, the PRC, um, the, the Prisoners Representative Committee. Um, I got voted in as a chairman and started doing advocacy um, around prisoners' rights. In the in the 70s, though, um, there were more programs available to us um, in, in, like, in the 70s, there were more programs available to us, and um, we were we were able to negotiate. In fact, they they abolished uh, capital punishment, and we ended up with Poochie and a whole lot of other brothers turning the death house into a contact visiting hall. So we were able to get visits and and, and touch our people and take pictures with our with our family members. And it was a it was a dramatic change in the prison. We were able to uh, wear our own clothes. We were able to run our own organizations. We had organizations like the Inmate Legal Association. We had the Black Studies Program. We had a whole lot of programs that were elevating uh, young brothers' consciousness. So uh, when when brothers was coming in, young brothers was coming into the prison system, we would scoop them up and start educating them about Africa, about who you are, and, and claiming some identity. As yeah. a result of that, as a result of that, uh, we ended up being a thorn in the administration behind, so to say. And 
myself personally, I became a serious thorn in, in there behind because. Hold on, my uh, brother, not to interrupt you. I like you to make it clear of how many cases you didn't represent it and one in the courts and how many people you've got released from prison, also. Brother, I, I, I don't, I, I never kept a chart. And, and, yeah. and oh, all right. Well, some, being modest, some, some summary of working, of working at Rutgers at the prisoners' uh, legal organization over there at Rutgers as well. You know what right. you did there as well. Yeah, yeah. We worked at, at it was it was um, it was a prisoners' self-help legal clinic, and we was at Seton Hall University, and we. I was uh, um, the administrative director of that program, and we used to work uh, three days a week accepting free collect phone calls from prisoners all across the United States. We would answer all kinds of letters. We developed pamphlets on, on how to advocate for yourself uh, for medical conditions and uh, uh, writ of habeas corpus, uh, post-conviction relief. We developed pamphlets that we used to just send out free to prisoners so that they could, they could become their own advocates. And I worked there for about, I volunteered there yeah, for about like five or six years. So, I mean, I, I can't really tell you how many people I've helped. I've helped so many people in, get, get out of prison. I've helped so many people get their sentence reduced. I've helped so many, I, I, I just, I just didn't keep numbers, you know, um, uh man, I, and I, because it wasn't like keeping a, a scorecard, you know, because I'm I'm dealing with people's lives. They're entrusting their entire life. They're putting it in my hands, you know, their transcripts, uh, witnesses' statements, and all kinds of stuff like that. And they're putting it in my hands, and and that's a hell of a responsibility that I had in trying to advocate and get people's convictions overturned. So I mean. I just can't can't begin to tell you the numbers, but I can tell you something that, a little bit about me. We we ended up I ended up <laughs> getting up well first the first person that was ever transferred out of out of New Jersey to the federal prison uh system was Clark Squire. And he was he was with Joanne uh Chesimar and um he had a hearing because they want, we had, what had happened was they tried to, the BLA uh, came to the prison, allegedly, and tried to uh, free him from the prison. So we were in, on a wing in what was called a management control unit. And it ended up being a shooting and a shootout. And, um, you know, uh, Unger Lewa got killed. Um, that, John Clark. Yeah, John Clark, he got killed. And um, it changed the dynamics and how they were dealing with with, with me and, and several other brothers that were advocates. Hannibal, it's it quite a few brothers that were advocates and were trying to change the, the conditions because the programs that we had previously they stripped us of all those programs, shut us down, and so we were trying to figure out how can we reinstitute those programs and end it up. All of us that were leaders, so so-called leaders in the prison, ended up in the management control unit and caught up in that in the shootout. So I ended up being transferred out of state. I I, got, I left New Jersey, went to uh, uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, ended uh, El Reno, Oklahoma, 
in Lompoc, California. That's where I ultimately end up at. And in Lompoc, this is the first time I was ever exposed to the Bloods and the Crips, uh, the Aryan Brotherhood. I mean, because the prisons out in California are so racist uh, that when we used to work out, we used to have people stand guard so that we can work out. And uh, but it enhanced it, it enhanced um, yeah. my my legal perspective. But you, you know, were shipped out for the fact of standing up for other prisoners and their rights is why they shipped you out, correct? Absolutely. Up for the right. yeah. Um, yeah. Brother Maxwell, um, Brother Maxwell, this is Scotty. I just, uh, Brother Charles, just for the listeners who may not know who Joanne Chesimard is, mm-hmm. he's talking about the side of Shakur, and the yeah. B, B, BLA is the Black Liberation Army, which was an offshoot mm-hmm. of the Black Panther Party after mm-hmm. the FBI and with the help of police started assassinating them brothers and sisters. So yes. just for clarification. Yeah, they, were, they were part yeah. of the COINTEL, the COINTEL uh, uh, operation that was started by uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and they were rounding up and murdering. They were actually murdering uh, BLA members and Black Panther members and, and people who were, who were, who were uh, leaders in the community. Um, so... But but that's how I ultimately ended up in in the federal system doing a state bid. By the way, you know I was doing state time and ended up in the mm-hmm. federal system. But yeah. it enhanced my understanding about the system altogether. And I I came to understand that it was nothing but uh, we represented dollars to them. That's all we represented dollars then, and we represent dollars now. You know, and and the machinery started back way back like what Poochie was saying, way back when we we were were uh in Gainesburg and all these twelve other and places. thirteen years old. Yeah, yeah. And and, and witnessing brutality and witnessing yeah. you know you know, the horror stories are, are so bad that I yeah. tell people that yeah. the um the long term psychological impact of incarceration is immeasurable. You know, you just you, you just can't measure that, you know. Um, when they talk about um, post-traumatic stress, we suffered post-traumatic stress. I mean, we still suffer it today. Um, there are so many things that I have been conditioned to do from being in prison that that's still in my system. It's still in my psychic today. I can't even begin to tell you the number of people that I've seen murdered. Yeah, wow. I mean, Ooh, I mean, it, 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 it's incredible. You know, and I would, hold on, world... brother Dino. I would like brother Pucci at some point to come on and talk about the okay. test that they ran on y'all at some point. The testing that they did on y'all. Well, when we were kids in Gainesburg, uh, Gainesburg uh, within your first two weeks, when I went there, I went there what fifty nine. Within our first two weeks, we was getting something like fifteen needles. Right, they used to just uh, call us over to the hospital, and a lot of us, uh, I realized and learned, have hepatitis because of they were using the same needles that's putting more serum or whatever they were shooting up in us, in them. Right, but real quick, Max. So what I wanted to try again, real quick, is if it's all right with y'all. My, no, just a summary. Tri- just as, you know, brief, you know, history on, you know, yeah. yeah. We won't get all this done tonight, but. This won't be your last yeah. time. This is your first time. Yeah. You know, we yeah. just basically well, then, some uh, Well, like Dino said, when I, my first day in Jamesburg, I got beat up by a staff member. Now, a guy yeah. named Mr. Hopkins stomped us. Uh, we stayed in the lockup. Uh, 
it was a slave camp, you know, and uh, Hannadale was worse because they just took us out on work there, details. When you look at old slavery movies, mm-hmm. that's what it was like. A right. bunch of us young boys chopping down trees, going into them communities out there, cutting people grasses, putting up fences. Uh, no, you know, cow. Were... <laughs> I'm learning how to milk cows. This is Tyson. Yeah. Man, you yeah. had a conversation earlier, and, and you're touching on some of the topics. We just wanted, you know what I mean, give the listeners a difference of how it was back then and how it is now, because I just came from Jamesburg in 99, and it was so yeah. different from the, the era that you was there, but they yeah. were still abusing us, you know, because you, you yeah. said, you know, how a staff member was putting their hands. I had a situation as well. With with okay. an officer named Road Dog, they that's what they called him, and mm-hmm. he to just bully us. He was just a a a a, a person that just abused us younger yeah. brothers in there. And then you had the, you know a sergeant, Sergeant Amberster, he abused us as well. Like yeah, you know by putting their hands on it, he feel like if you ain't doing something, just a person talking at the table while you eating supper, you know making mm-hmm. you stand up because you're talking in the mm-hmm. child hall, make, dumping mm-hmm. your food, just taking your food and just dumping it. So we would mm-hmm. like yeah. for one of you guys just to explain the difference between how it is in, in your area and how it is now. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, like, you know, like you said, Trenton State Prison, it smells like death when you walk in there. When I walked yeah. in the doors at, 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 at 20 years old, you know, like yeah. you could just smell the death in the air and you know the difference between how it was back then is probably way worse mm-hmm. but um, you know just let the listeners understand the difference between how mm-hmm. prisons was back then and how they are now and brother Mars uh, I'd like you to explain about how they also in all fairness had some staff members that was in favor of protecting the prisoners and was fired for that very reason to hire all by you have a, uh, all human beings have the tendency of masochist and sad tendencies, right? Now, a lot of them are people who, uh, they're human. So they get them jobs, they get this sense of power, they get this sense of complete control. Because we're inside them institutions, prisons, juvenile facilities, or whatever, whatever they say is law. And we need to respond to when they say it. The policy is if the officer tells you to do something and you feel it's wrong, you still do it and complain afterwards. Right? That's what they tried to do to us. And Annadale, uh, like Dina was saying, when my generation, uh, baby booms, when we had Trent State Prison, they were still walking in lockstep. They had a band in the center playing music. We wore khakis with stripes down them and we wore the khaki shirt. Everybody was in uniform, you carried your own spoon, your own cup. You know, they had us like the old uh, movies of, uh, you know, the 20s and stuff. They had us like that, our generation came in and we rebelled, right? Cause we the same ones that when you hit the 60s, we was in our teens, late teens and early 20s. So we was part of the rebellion. Right, so they needed to get us out the way. So they abused us. They they made the 
human because human beings should not be treated the way that they are and they that made all people the target group. When I was in Janesburg, they had something like 60 boys in the cottage. If you had three white boys in the cottage, that was a lot, you know. They had all of us, right, and they continue doing it today. And that's what's how I said me, because I see the same little boys at seven, six, eight, nine, happy, playful, helpful, or want to carry mommy bags that's too heavy. Then at 16, you're going to tell me they monsters. We've seen it, them come it, out. It, it was part of the institutionalization, and, and that's yes. what it is. I mean, Shawshank Redemption, and that's, I know a lot of people have seen that. It's yes. it's not a, a, a precise depiction of what was going on because it's a movie, but it, it, it's a depiction of some of the things that were going on inside the prison. It was a work camp. Like in Trenton State Prison, we used to make the tags all the tags for New Jersey cars. License All the tags. We had, yeah. yeah, the license plates. Yeah. I mean, we had yeah. the tag shop. But I want to address, yeah. the, the brother asked to, to, to draw a comparison between then and now. You know, then uh, brothers like Poochie and us and, and Max, we weren't afraid to stand up to the administration or whoever was in power to, to, to say I'm a man and you're not going to put your hands on me without a fight you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that well today it's more control it's more isolation you know um, it's more like say Southwood State Prison I was in Southwood Southwood is, is three separate prisons within a prison you can put me on unit one and and I and my brother on Unit 3, and unless we get a visit, we won't even see each other the whole time that we're there. So it's all about control, and that's what it is. The, the, the prisons now are about controlling. You know, it's about lockup. It's about punishment. It's about it's the gangs. It's about they got gang control units. So all it is now is about control. You know, and, and 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 when you're released from there, you're still released the same way. I just seen a brother not long ago come home with a white shirt, some blue jeans, I seen and some boots. Yeah, yeah I seen and as him. soon as you seen him, as soon as you yeah, see yeah. him, you know where he's coming where from. Where he's from, yeah. You, you know, you know he's coming out of prison. They do yeah. not prepare you for reentry into society. Oh, uh, brother they Charles, want you to continue at, at all, yes. brother at Charles. All. You know, let's. Speak on how now, you know, in these these maximum, you know, security units, they they have you going to the rec yard and putting you in in a cage. You yeah. know, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just came. Wow. You know, when I was in Trenton State Prison, we had to go to rec and be in a dog cage. You know, right. and right. if a lot of people wanted to go to rec and they got to your cell, you were short because they only got eight cages, so you wasn't able to go to yard. And you might not go to yard for a week, you know. So mm. it's like these these conditions that they had these brothers in, you know, it's 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 really terrible. So um, yeah. This now is, explain the part about look, everything bro, brother Maxwell, brother Maxwell. Hold, yes. hold on a second. Um, we're coming close to the top of the hour. We're yes. just going right. to take our station identification break and continue yes. and All let right. you brothers 
Yeah, um, and, and Sister Khadijah continue the conversation. Yeah. But let me let me yeah. say this about something Brother Charles was talking about isolating and command and control mm-hmm. and yeah. just how the more things change, they really stay the same. Because if mm-hmm. when I look at I look at this uh, my brothers that first time you know you spoken with me I look at this as a continuation of slavery and when we read about you know pre-1865 slavery if you had that rebel that rebellious victim of slavery what would they do to him but isolate him or put him through a buck breaking process and just you know totally make an example out of him and I think you know that mentality and that tactic of buck breaking still goes on in in prisons today. So we're going to take a short station identification break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Please stay tuned as we continue this conversation on the other side. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live programming scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, and we, we, we are back. Uh, Brother Maxwell, please go ahead. I just like uh, 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 Brother Pucci and uh, Brother Charles to talk about what they're trying to implement as far as uh, some things that's going on in New Jersey right now, particularly about 2A and what y'all are trying to do about 2A uh, offenders and all, uh, the lifers. Uh, I'd like for you to implement that. And I, like he said about the effect that it had on then and the effect that it, it, it had now and what's going on now and how it's gotten deeper is just more covered up where it was brantly just open everything before they're just covering it up but i'd like to speak on one of the projects and how they still continue to govern your life as a result of being released and what y'all are trying to do as far as the 2a you know school of hard knocks i'd like for uh, y'all to speak on that all right. Uh, they know you want to go first or what? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I, I I don't have a problem with that. What we're trying to do with with two ways. Um. There there are brothers out here who have been released from prison. Uh. Been out here on on in in society for fifteen, twenty, thirty years, working, playing, paying taxes, um, health insurance, and taking care of their families. And what it is is that they have life on parole, you know, um, and we it's, it's like taxation without representation. We do everything right, but they don't want to discharge us from parole because they still, still see us as a dollar. They still see us as, as something to make money off. I just had a horrible uh, uh, something that was ha- happened to a, a dear friend of all, all of ours, in fact. You know, his name was Hammer, Greg Williams. He passed away. We all attended his funeral, you know, and everything like that. Parole just recently went to his house because they had issued warrants for his arrest. Now, the brother's dead. The brother passed away and had been dead several months. But that still shows you how they continue with that slave accountability. You know, like he represented a dollar. Nobody seen him from, from parole. And so they put out a warrant for him. But the brother's been dead now several months later. But it it it, it just typifies and shows what, what, what they're doing. So what we did, we came together collectively and decided that we wanted to take our issues to the people who have control over our lives. I mean, there's no longer, you don't need to supervise me anymore. 
I know how to survive out here in society. I know right and wrong. You know, what you have me now is contained in the state of New Jersey. I can't go out of the state of New Jersey unless I get permission. Um, and that's got to be written permission. When I go someplace else, I got to let people know that I'm there. And and it's just this it's just slave mentality. It's just like when they freed so-called freed the slaves and gave them the the right to vote. They knew how powerful that vote was, so that's why they start coming up with these these different little laws to lock people up just to deprive them of the right to vote. You know, and and that's what they're doing with us. They took our money. I don't know how many years I've been paid income taxes. That they just took my money, and and I have no say so in the political process. You know, and and it's like with the Boston Tea Party. That's what that was all about: taxation without representation. So, um, like I said earlier, we we came together collectively and decided that we wanted to take this to the actual people who are in control of our lives and we want to be discharged from parole you know there's no 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 further reason to detain us on parole some of us are 60 70 75 55 years old i mean what need do you have to to be to detain me on parole especially when you put us up against the 2c 2c is punishment 2C is isolation, 2C is incarceration. That's the whole concept behind that, you know. And so, you know, you got so many brothers uh, that's doing 85% whatever, and when they come out, they're younger than us. I mean, they have to readjust and, and reintegrate back into the community. In fact, we are the ones who mentor them in trying to readjust to this society out here, you know, when when I went in, you the, the phone was a dial phone. Where you had to you had to dial it on the circular phone and let it come back, and then dial it on the circular phone. Then when I get out, and I got I got to tell you this story. Then you know I don't want to just hog up talking. But when I got out uh, from Trenton in 1985. Um, uh, we we had the prisoner self-help legal clinic. So I used to go to Seton Hall and jump on the typewriter. You know, so this 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 wonderful, she's a wonderful woman in my book. Her name was Audrey Bomsey. She used to say to me, Dino, why are you still on the typewriter when we have computers here? I was terrified of computers because it was a technology that I, I never knew anything about. And I was comfortable with... Um, with the typewriter, onion skin and, and all this other kind of stuff that was antiquated and outdated. But because I had been incarcerated so long, I didn't even know what the computer consisted of. So what she did for me, and I thank her today for that, I went to work uh, one day and all the typewriters were gone. <laughs> she, she had to move all the typewriters out out of where we were working at and force me on the computer. And after that, I just fell in love with it. But these are some of the things that people who are coming out of prison, you know, are going to face. And they, we have to mentor them and help them help help them navigate back into the community. You know, go ahead, Pooch. I, I ran my mouth. Man. Well, then, uh, based on what y'all was saying. I, 
we have an individual, because usually in New Jersey, because uh, New Jersey is very progressive as far as prisons, right? Uh, New Jersey prison system, uh, we was getting furloughs, uh, we was fighting for a lot of things, and we was gaining them, you know, based on our struggle. We was being able to do things. Then when the government took over and made everything come up under DOC, because we was Department of Institution and Agencies in New Jersey, and the warden and uh, as different institutions used to decide your parole eligibility and all this stuff. So when they became a mega prison system and started implementing all these different departments, all these different boards, they created the monster. But usually we used to do like maybe 20 years. If you did 20 years under a 2A uh, life, that was a lot. Well, we now have a guy who he only did 17 years and been on parole 35. Been on 35 years on parole. No felony convictions, no send back. Just, you know, like Dino has said, they still get dollars for us. As I said earlier when I opened up from the age of 12 to 55, I was never on the street a year. Now, I have been home 16 years on parole, and they act like I'm the same individual. You know, it's a lot of obvious stuff that they need to do, but they get dollars out of us, right? So the parole system, when 2C came into effect in New Jersey, because the whole country uh, during them 70s, uh, if you wasn't, anti-crime, you couldn't get elected to be the dog catcher. Everybody had to show how much they was against crime. And so when they come up with the predator uh, inmates talking about the young boys, start calling them predators and all this stuff, they start building juvenile max facilities, right? The juvenile facilities that they build, they like the ones that Janesburg or the open space ones that we had. Right, they start putting them in cells, keeping them in them 20 hours a day, or stuff like that. They're preparing them psychologically for this, right? So we under the mindset: if you're gonna bring in a new penal code, like uh, you know, I said that's based on punishment, because ours was based on rehabilitation and helping. Theirs is built on punishment and hurting. So if you're gonna bring that in, you have to eliminate the old. You know, we're probably the only state in America where you have two active penal codes running, you know, and the ones that's left under 2A, like they said, we have so-called life sentences, even though up under the law, we would have eligibility dates, so it couldn't have been life. You know, they was calculating it from the 30-year max to get us up there in 14-9 to be eligible for parole. So now that they done got the new one, they trying to keep us because they still could get dollars off us. If somebody is up under 2C and they get sentenced, like uh, was said, they do 85% of their sentence, they might come home with two years supervision or five years supervision, then they finish. You know, you get no more money from them. But with it's us under the industrial this, complex. Yes, that's, that's yes, what it yes, is. It's not about dollars. It's, it's, it's a industrial complex. When they when they when when they start privatizing and start yes. selling shares on Wall Street, then you know it's profit motive. It's, yes. it's profit motive. You know, Michael yes. Jordan got shares. I mean, some of the, some of the people that you know that were basketball heroes are doing 
just the reverse. They got investments in in, in the privatization because there's money yeah. in it. But you know, hey, uh, you yeah. see real it's quick, all, real quick, you see you know, it's all that right now. Jeopardy. Excuse me, pardon me. It's double jeopardy, man. You know, you got people spending time in prison and then still coming home on parole after you do 85% of your time. You know, it's yeah. double jeopardy, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, you know, I know you guys back then, you know, when y'all was in Trenton State Prison, y'all, y'all fought for that, you know, and, you know, because it's double we jeopardy. We fought against 2C. We fought hard against 2C. Yes, uh, we had Dane Scott, the fighter. He was in Rawway then, and I was like the chairman of the TRC at that time. Yeah. And uh, he donated money so we could get people, because uh, our visitors was very active. What they undone across America is they stopped the people from helping you, right? We, uh, we used to get food packages. Like Dino said, we had a bunch of groups and organizations used to come in, the Lions Club and different things that showed compassion for us. They stopped all that. So now when a guy do 20 years, he come home, he feel he don't owe nobody nothing because his Aunt Mary couldn't send him a cake send them a dinner or nothing. Nobody did nothing for me, right? So they bring these guys out with the ad to bump everybody because when I was locked down, nobody did nothing. They done hooked up where nobody can't do nothing. Before your mother could go downtown, buy TV on time, have it sent to you in the prison, and she paid monthly on the bill. They can't do that now. You got to buy your TV in prison. Uh, they used to send you sneakers. You got to buy your sneakers in prison. Everything has to be brought there so there's more money. And they have a surcharge because Christy Whitman, when she was our governor, she privatized our commissary. So there's a surcharge on everything. Yeah, and they the also now, inside the, the system, when, when a person is leaving, they won't even let you pass your TV on to a person. You know? Yeah. They make they they making a law strict to where that you know you can't even pass your TV on to somebody, yeah. and it's you know it's terrible because they come. But they want them to buy a new one. They want them to buy a new one. And like I said earlier, them TVs and little plastic things they got factories that just make them. They make right. them for prison. Them little right. spoons and them little uh, uh, pencils that have people that make them and they use nothing for prison. So they, if you stop that, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people losing jobs. So that's right. why they've tried to keep the industry, and we understand that, but stop making all people the target. Stop grabbing all kids up and saying that they monsters when we've seen how they came out. We've seen them laughing and playing. We've seen them happy. We've seen them trying to share with older people. We've seen them walking down the street waving at people. Now at 60, you're going to tell me he's the monster. We want to know when was the transformation into that and why. Because he didn't come out like that, you know. And now you're grabbing our kids and you're throwing them away. You take a boy that's uh, 20 years old, you take him to prison, you give him a 60-year stip for carjacking, robbery, some stuff like that there. He can end up with 60 years stip, meaning he have to do 60 years before he eligible. That's past his life expectancy. So you, if his life expectancy is 78 years old and you giving him something past that, you're giving him a death sentence for a charge that don't carry the death sentence. 
and, and know, look at the money that they're numbers. making off of them. Look at the money yeah. that they're making off of them. Yeah. Now, yeah, the, the cost of incarceration now is up to like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 per inmate. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. that's what we are. It's the prison industrial complex. It's actually that's more it than it, that. Motive. Yeah, that price tag depends on what it's, state no, you're, you're in. No, you're talking fifty and seventy thousand now. No, no, not no thirty wow. and forty. He's talking yeah, fifty I was and seventy thousand. It's a quarter. It's a quarter of a million dollars if you're a juvenile in the state of New York. I know. Wow. Correct. Yeah. So you know, yeah, and he, and he can't there. earn that much. He can't earn that much on the street. You know, as soon as they put them cuffs on you, you become an asset. You become an asset to them. You know, but you can't get a job. You know, yes, sir. You you know, you can't get a job making that much money on the street, but you sure can be worth that much money to the prison system. You know, it's profit motive, and and that's what it is. You know, and they, look, if they change the way that they deal with the criminal justice system. Look at the people who will be out of jobs. Public defenders, attorneys, judges, prosecutors. So they all, have, yeah, they all have a vested interest in, in, the, in the industrial complex to keep it going. So anything that they can, can come up with that will continue that profit motive, that will continue locking up us in, in, in our communities, you know, then they're going to continue that because it's in their vested interest. Look at the law schools that were shut down because now there's no need for judges and lawyers and prosecutors and custodial workers or whatever. There's just no need for them anymore. You know, now, you know, these people will be unemployable because you don't have to have, to have a whole lot of skills, you know, to, to, to become a, a, a prison guard. You really don't, no. you know. And then, and then there's another thing that that people have to look at. You know, you can build a prison like they have in South Woods, way out in the rural community, and automatically it becomes an asset. Seven Elevens pop up, McDonald's pop up. Automatic, it's an asset. People start moving there because they work there, and then they transfer us from the city down there to deal with those rural people down there who never, never had any kind of contact with us. They don't know our culture. We don't know their culture. And it's automatically a culture clash, you know. And then they got the power of isolation because now you're, you're from, from Newark and you're way down in South Jersey some damn where, West Bubba hell, you know. And now your people can't get down there like Poochie was saying and, and then they blame their people for not being able to do that but they don't see the bigger picture. The bigger picture is designed to do that just to keep you isolated from your family and make it frustrated. Just to keep you uh, down there somewhere so that they can make profit up. Just so they can beat you and brutalize you and do it to hell. Because your people are uh, 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 50, 60 miles away, you know, so that by the time they get the news, your, your ass, excuse my language, been whooped, put in a, in, in a hospital on the facility that don't care about you because most, most of them are privatized too, and so even the food providers are privatized. So, yeah. I mean, by the time your family get the message, man, you, you knocked in the head and beat up and and everything else, you know, and then they can't get down there 
to do anything about it because they don't understand how the system operates and what the system is designed to do. And that's what it's designed to do, to keep us coming back in the prison. That's why they don't offer you no real serious training. They don't offer you anything that would help you reintegrate back into the community. What they offer you is, is isolation and brutalization so you can keep on coming back to the prison. The psychological impact, once you get back to the black community, you know, you know, a lot of people in the community don't understand why you're so angry and don't understand why you're so frustrated, but that's what it's designed to do, to keep you returning recidivism. That's what it's, it's called. It's funny how you spoke about Southwoods. I was just... I was just released from Southwoods in October 19th, and um, that's a nasty prison, man. Them officers there, horrible, man. I had they're an officer when they open. They will, they will murder you. It's so divided now, like you know, they do one tier at a time now. So you know, I had an officer there because she got into it with my celly. She locked me down and said that you know, um. Because I'm his celly, and mm. I said, you know, why, why, why is it that I just get in here and I don't know know my celly like that? I just came into the, you know, into the facility. I wasn't even there a week, so you know, I had them call the sergeant. I speak to the sergeant. The sergeant come in because I'm addressing and standing up my, for myself. He asked me. You telling on my, my officer, sir? I said, no, sir. I'm not telling on your officer. I'm addressing the issue before it become a bigger issue. You know, by not allowing this woman to treat me any type of way. Because because of my cellar, you penalizing me? You know? I they, said, they don't want to see that unit. Things that we have. Like, you have yeah. a bunch of rednecks down there that run around. They just want to jump on you. Just want to look at you. County. Uh, you got Cumberland County, you got the Klan Capital of New Jersey down there. Yeah, you know? and, so and yeah, now, a lot of them work there. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Tell them, tell them what's on the top of the building of Southwood. Three K. Three sections. Yeah. If you go from an aerial view, you get in a helicopter and look down on it. It's three Ks. They mm -hmm. build three different units in one prison, and each one mm -hmm. of them is shaped like a cat. But to add yeah. on to what y'all was saying, what they do, uh, if you ask the visitors that struggle to get there, because like he said, if you're in Newark and uh, your, your loved one is in Leesburg, South or somewhere, it could be a three-hour drive, right, mm -hmm. both ways, right? So you, you're sacrificing a lot. Now, once they get there, these people are treated so disgusting that they don't want to come back. You know, but they love you, so they go through the harassment, the the smirks, the the, 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 in the windows. Yeah, they don't want to yeah. come back. Yeah, 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 they make them don't want to come back because yeah. they like Dino said they want to cut you man. off, they want to isolate yeah. you, they want to see that nobody cares. If you inside them prisons and you don't get visits, and you don't get mail, and if you say something out your mouth, they're going to knock you in the head because they know nobody care. You know, but if you get in a visit every week where them people have to sacrifice, and I, we take our hats off to them for the sacrifice they have to go through because they come through storms and everything, and you get them visits in there trying to negotiate something with you that they know no.
nobody cared, nobody been contacting you. They'll beat you up, put you in the hospital for a couple of days, put you in lockup for maybe a month. When you come out, you held up. Right? So you really ain't got no exhibit A about what they done to you. You know, when I first went to Trenton State Prison, uh, the problems I was having because I had a reputation for being, you know, a problem. And I came from Bordentown. They kicked me out there, you know, and they called me up there to the warden's office up over the mess hall, and he explained it to me. He said, Julius, uh, you know, your record shows that you like to start things. We're not going to have it here. Right. He said, I'm going to explain to you about that wall. He said, that wall ain't for keeping you in. It's for keeping the public out. Out. You know, yeah, we don't want them to see what we do. And if you want to be a problem, we know how to deal with them. And they did. I was in the four wing lockups where there used to be the horse stables where George Washington uh, stabled uh, his horse. And by the way, that um, individual Dina was talking about John Clark, who got killed when they came in Trenton State Prison shooting up the place with guns and stuff. He was the brother of the lean on me, Joe Clark, that cleaned up the uh, so-called passing school. You know, that was his blood brother, you know. And they killed him, but by Joe being, you know, political, they let it go under the cover. Because the prisoners, we was ready to stand up, fight for the family, do whatever support they need. Because like he said, we we wasn't scared. You know, it wasn't much that y'all could do to us because we was raised up in that system. So we know what y'all do or not. Today, them young boys coming up in there, 21, 22, and first time being locked up. So they don't know prison etiquette. They don't know prison procedures. So they do a lot of things that give them officers a lot of power that they don't deserve. You know, you know, we didn't hate them, and we wasn't friends with them. We just recognized it was them and us. You know, they play their role, they good, we play our role, we good. If they come our role, we ready to come our role with them. You know, but real quick, please, what I'd like to say, uh, what really uh, have an impact on my life of crime was when I was 11 years old, when I first started coming out the house on my own. I'm a Newark, Spruce Street, Prince Street Project area, right? Start coming out on my own. I learned from the 14 and the 15 and the 16-year-old boys that 17th Avenue Projects was my enemy, that we didn't like nobody. We pushed three projects, 17th Avenue was like five blocks away. So the goal was to see them, we fight them, and all this stuff. At 12, when I went to Janesburg, I mean, went to the youth house, I find out that everybody from Newark came together. Because now we fighting Nissan, we fighting Mount Claire, we fighting Irvington, right? So all Newark came together. When I got to Janesburg, all of Exus County came together because we fighting Camden County, Mercer County, and whoever else. We just, mm-hmm. you know, we standing together. Now mm-hmm. it was a guy from Camden County who was our arch enemies far as Newark. Me and him had about from Janesburg to Bordentown, we might have had like 12, 15, 17 fights. Wherever we would meet, wherever we would meet in the jail, we would fight. 
Right? So when I get to the federal system, I'm down in Atlanta, Georgia. They got me in the federal prison in Atlanta. Uh, sent me from Trenton to Atlanta. So when I get up in there, I'm walking around with my homies, and they telling me who we don't have. We don't like Philly boys, and we don't mess with them D.C. boys. So they started naming the Jersey guys that was there, and they named this guy Frank from Camden. So I said, what, he? No, man, y'all got to let that go because everybody from Jersey got to stick together. So yep. being who I am, when I got back to my cell, I did the math. I said, dog, if I go to Russia, everybody from America, I'll try to communicate with. If I go to Jupiter or Mars, any earthling, I don't care if he's a skinhead, I don't care if he's Aryan nation, I don't care if he's a clansman, I'm going to try to communicate with them. So why yeah. at 11, I had an enemy. That's what they do. They create enemies for us. Even inside yeah. them prisons, guys from one wing don't like somebody from another wing. Uh, we yeah. don't mess with them. They knock down nothing. Uh, we don't mess yeah. with them. They in free wing. Uh, you know, so they just keep us fighting each other to make us our own enemy so we don't see the real enemy and what they're doing. You know, and that's what our biggest problem is. We take territories like we control them. I tell these young men over here where I'm at, you don't run no block. You're allowed to have a block because they work in their best interest. But if a cock car ride through the block and you throw a water balloon and hit that car, they will show you how quick you don't own no block. So we got to get off the mindset that we are each other enemy and stop feeding it to the kids. You know, we see it to the kids. They grow up expecting and looking for an enemy. It might be one, but it's not us, you know? So, you know, yeah, so we need to be focused on that, man, man, real. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Whoever. Hello? Yeah, yeah, but go ahead. I don't see who... Yes, sister. I just want to say uh, we are. I'm just so in honor to have you guys on the show. I really appreciate all that you've been through and you came out and the sacrifices you've made. Um, earlier we had spoken about the first step act. I just wanted a little bit of your input and your opinion about some of the things that needed to be added into there that they're not taking in consideration. And either one of you can go first. I just would like to have your input on the first step act. On the first step back. Or step back. Step back, yes. Like into the community? Brother uh, Maxwell, you want to explain? Maxie. Max. Maxwell. Yeah, yeah they just the first step back about. Yeah, they just implemented the first step back, you know. That was the act. Oh. It didn't apply to any state prisons. It only applied to federal prisons. Some of the oh. uh, 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 things that they implemented in the bill was women not being shackled in prison. They encouraged more visits by telecommunication. They, uh, uh, as far as cutting some of the sentences, uh, as far as the thing Obama just changed on that crack cocaine thing in uh, yeah. 2010, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, implemented a few things like that. And, you know, I don't think myself had any major impact. It's a first step, and it's a start. It was mostly about corporate who instituted it. Originally, there was a family that started and the first step act is, you know, uh, I I don't know if y'all are that familiar with that because y'all been dealing with the other thing, but it's something that I would like y'all to look into, the first step okay, act, definitely. so you can familiarize definitely. yourself with it a little bit. 
but yeah, that's what definitely. she's talking about, y'all opinion on that. Okay, right. well, I found out. When you get a chance when you get a chance, I would like y'all to talk about the two A uh thing briefly of what you're trying to implement now as far as like you were saying about the parole and what parole is doing, you know, a little bit about exactly who the school of hard knocks are. Okay. Well real quick, what could happen with that, all that would take is the governor signature of abolishing penal code to end. Because, like, we know we have another penal code. So that was our goal and that was our objective, right? Because uh, the courts and the parole board then demonstrated that they really not going to give us no relief, right? But the governor, he been uh, pro-prisoners uh, voting, pro-professioners voting. Uh, he's, he's been pro a lot of things that we're fighting for. So all that we really would take is him to sign and abolish. The uh, governor of New Jersey, that, hold up, the governor of New Jersey, then, excuse me not to cut you off, has been one of the ones who hasn't been as progressive as New York and Philadelphia. For example, yeah. New York, Philadelphia Attorney General Larry Kresner has okay. taken some of the most drastic and meaningful progressive steps throughout the United States as far as prisoners reintegrating back into society, as far as dirty cops, the way what they're doing to women, uh, okay. What they're doing, all types of Philadelphia is one of, excuse me, I got to hiccup, is one of the most progressive states right now. Yes, it is. Yes, as it is. As far as reentry and New York is. Yes. Okay. And uh, the voting. Uh, what you find about. And the voting. And I, have and, to send you... out, and I have to send out a round of applause for them. Whatever reason they're doing it, bro, they're the most progressive right now. New York Governor uh, Cuomo and here in uh, uh, DA. And you just got this other lady uh, 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 elected in New York who's going to be taking drastic measures. And, you know, this state is not that progressive as far as that. And you have all these collateral consequences. Guys are coming home. They want you to get a job. They want to welcome you open arms into the community. But yeah. you have all these collateral consequences. I mean, you're eliminated from doing anything, the very things. Then parole and different people want to get on you because you ain't got a job or this and that. Nobody's welcoming you with open arms. What is the guy supposed to do? One of the biggest things in this state is homelessness. All these guys come home from prison, don't have a place to go. Where are they going to end up at? Where are they going to end up? Right back into the system. Right back into the system. So it's the revolving yeah, they door. They programs. We got all these programs. Yeah. It's things up. It's just paychecks. And that's all it is. First, that's all even it with is. your first yeah. step back program, yeah. they're going to yeah. set up things where yeah. their nephews, their nieces, their cousins mm -hmm. could get yeah. jobs. And another right. thing, you got, uh, yeah, you got all these organizations. Hold on, my brother. You got all these organizations out here mm -hmm. taking claim to fame that they did this and did that. No, that is not true. You know? We know. We, we know. know. Come to, we, no, they're claiming that they took uh, uh, steps and all these messages. No. We cannot yeah. do it without each other. It has to be collaborative. They're claiming fame. Yeah. There are people that put their lives and lost their lives for a lot of the rights yeah. that we have as prisoners right now have laid their lives down on the line that are dead yeah. right now because they stood up for what they believe in, in the rights of all prisoners and persons. So these organizations yeah. that's getting all these big paychecks, they're selective in their choosing, and it's going off of political. It's, it's got to yeah. do with politics. You bring this in for me, you get this sponsor, this and that, we'll give this to your organization, whether they're right or yeah. wrong. So they're selective and they're choosing it and what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They're taking money. They're doing, a lot of them are doing the same thing the politicians are doing and lobbying for the politicians. 
but like Bowie. I said, the, the, the cause that most of us have come from, we've got nothing. We fought for that because that's where our hearts was, and that's what we believed right. in is what we right. did, most of it. And we did it. I did it for 33 years. You did it. Yeah. I mean, there's no accountability. The yeah, they make there's the no accountability. The we did. No, well, you did nothing. People have died yep. for this. You're just coming yep. on at the end of it and collecting all this money from it and, and, and not really and giving he, nothing in return back. It's who's the best grant writer? You know, if you yeah. can write a grant that that uh, conforms with what they what they want, then that's what that's who the money goes to. But there's yep. no accountability. You know, yeah. that's and that's what's wrong that that. They yeah. don't have anybody to account to. And, and the see, real people that's, that's trying to make the difference, the real people that's out on the front lines trying to make the difference, it's difficult for them to get the money because we are the ones that have the evidence-based practices that could change right. and implement all those things. You understand? Right. But the ones, yeah, the ones that could really make a difference, they say uh, Glenn Martin, uh, Brother Glenn Martin over in New York, had one of the biggest organizations in the country, was a former prisoner. It was called Justice Leadership. Uh, USA. He had a budget of eight million a year. Whatever right. politics or whatever he had to, you know, he was, you know, he left there for whatever reasons or whatever. But he says, if you want a solution, the solution to the problems lays, you know, the answer to the uh, uh, solution lays closer to the people with the problem. And who would that be with the problem? Us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, we are the so, like, like I say, this ain't gonna happen. Like I consider myself as people have called me, not that I considered as a criminal justice alumni. With the right. time I have in the things and the work that I've tried to put in and everything, and I still try to, you know how many doors been shut in my face when you come with realness to these people? You know how many doors get slammed in your face? You, You're not you coming in real. this circle. You're not coming You're in this circle real. to break our thing up. You're too you know? real. When you when you're real like that, they shun away from you. Because and, 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 they and, and, don't and, want that cold reality to hit them in the face about what they are not doing. They yes, don't exactly. want that reality. But you, you know what? Oh, they buy, they buy. What's the problem? Excuse me, gentlemen. You know what's the problem? They're what's siding the problem? with the people whose heart is not really in it. Because like that I said, right. it's about the business. They want the yeah. funding because they know that they're going to fund people whose heart is really mm -hmm. not in taking this money and doing what yeah. they're supposed to do with but it. But you know what? They, want to it down. Down. they, want, they just want to bust it down. That's all they want to do, But like you said, Maxwell, they don't want to give you the funding because they know the power that you possess to be able to do with that funding. But we're yeah. still going to get there, brother. We're still going to get there. Regardless of whether they give it to us, we're going to get there. I yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're right about that. Well, what we've what we seen, uh, in Jersey, we had a program called Joint Connection. Uh, oh, the God, brother, yeah. John Marvosa's brother, he had got buses yeah. and was taking oh, up people God. to the different prisons and all this stuff. And he was in communication with me because I was at Broadway and I was chairman. So he comes in, we have a lot of meetings about things that could be done. We set up a visiting committee uh, from the Broadway prison of ladies that was coming in. So he comes to me one day, he all smiled and yelled, Poochie, yeah, man, it's going to happen. The DOC going to fund us. So I said, what? So he said, Department of Corrections, they going to fund us. I said, no, John. I said, if you let them fund you, they're going to take you to a nice level, and in a couple years, they're going to tell you to make changes, and if you don't make the changes, they cut off the funding. Right, so a lot of people that come in there being progressive and trying to help us, they'll snatch them up. 
we but tell them what that's you. about. We like what the, you're uh, doing. Pucci, you have to explain to them, the audience, also what the uh, Joint Connection was about and what it did. That's important. The Joint Connection was a, it was a thing where the brother had buses. He would get buses. They were meeting Camden, uh, Trenton, uh, uh, no, York, and they would yeah. go to the different prisons around the state, taking the other than the that, because to, your people had no other means and ways of getting there. Uh, yeah, That's other it. than that, the people couldn't get. Uh, yeah, South Jersey from North Jersey is a. You know, if you ain't got no car and you can't uh, use public transportation because they got us out in the woods, you know, so people couldn't get there. So anyway, Joint Connection started uh, delivering food packages. They became an access and an advocate for us. So they was doing great things. Uh, each prison had set up prison committees uh, with the women that was coming in to visit because it was 98% females that come in them. And they yeah. uh, set up committees, and they was meeting with the different superintendents and administrators, wardens, whatever title uh, them people want to use about things and trying to change things and join, uh, join connection with one of the spearheads of right. these people being able to do that. Now, once the Department of Corrections start funding them, and it took like maybe two years, two and a half years, that's when they start telling, well, I don't think y'all need to do this. Uh, but the Wednesday night visits ain't that important, so y'all don't, yeah. you know, and they yeah. phase them out. So you know, know, yeah, you buy them yeah. out and phase them out was just like the people did with Trump, his story. They go to somebody, buy the story, then they shelf it. You know, and that's what the Department of Correction and different agencies in the state was doing. Anybody coming there showing any support, they have flashed money in front of them. And like I said earlier, a lot of people was just there for the money. It's only a few of us that was there on a mission, you know, of saving ourselves and saving other human lives. Other it's people was there for the money. So when the money gets flashed, they take the money and run. And we was left hung in the prison again. So out again, you know. So yeah, it's ugly what they do, and the mindset is nothing new. Cause like I said, when they grabbed us, us baby boomers in them fifties and sixties, my neighborhood, Prince Street, Charles Street, Spruce Street, all that area in New When I got to Janesville, I could say maybe sixty percent or seventy percent of the boys in my age group from my neighborhood was in Janesville. You know, if y'all remember not too long ago, they had every county jail uh, overpacked in Jersey because there wasn't no room in the prisons. They were snatching them up. Now we have a thing where private prisons are suing states because the states have guaranteed them an X amount of prisoners a year. <laughs> now, the, now the state ain't fulfilling that requirement, so the private prisons are saying, well, y'all got to give us something because we still yeah. open, we still operating, we still got staff, we got to pay, and you're not yeah. sending us your boys or slaves, I mean your prisoners. You know, yeah, so that's what you know. The whole thing is all about dollars, and our people, our children, are the targets. They're yeah. the one that they go around like with fishing nets and just swoop them up whenever they want. Yeah, yeah, I understand that it starts out here in the community. The police patrol yeah. our community. They're occupying army. They, yeah. they, 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 they say to serve and protect, but to serve and protect who? To serve and protect the rich. 
That's who they're here to serve and protect and to keep and you isolated the in the community. Yeah, your army, yeah. your army, them guys, when they came on, they put aside and juries and all across America, certain yeah. jobs uh, for law enforcement and those type of things for them guys yeah. coming from the service. Now, they didn't learn control, contain, and kill. They didn't learn serve and protect. So when they uh, confront our little 16-year-old boys, and if our little boys get mouthy with them, they attack. If our little boys run, they shoot because that's what they're trained to do, yeah, right? Because if uh, they over in one of them countries at war, yeah, and if somebody running from good them, they're going to think the person got a bomb or something to hurt, so they shoot to kill, and that's why yeah, we know, get so many of our kids killed by police because they got that military mindset. Yeah. Yeah. We do oh, not, we do not hey, manufacture I, guns. We do not. Yeah. Hold on. Somebody yeah. trying to say something? We got to talk yeah. one at a time. Go ahead. Yeah, I just okay. Wanted, we're down to about uh, 13. Can you give me a green tea? We got some more. Can you hear you, Sister Khadijah? I said we're about 13 minutes of the show left, so if yeah, we can uh-huh. just wrap up. Start winding down. Start winding yeah, down. Yeah, if we yeah. can just start giving some advice to the youth as far as um, those that are, are in juvenile detention. Yeah, um, and the bars are doing So if we can spend the last talking about that, um, yeah. and then that yeah. will probably wrap that sh- the okay. show up. I'll take three yeah. minutes real quick of them per team. The advice right. of the youth is what the same advice that I got as youth, education. You know, I tried to tell these young kids uh, that's over here, that's carping things. I said, when you walk past a corner, I said, you see them guys hanging out on the corner, doing nothing. Just walk up to them and say, oh, excuse me, uh, did you go to high school here in Patterson? And they would tell them, oh, yeah, I was the best dresser there. Yeah, I played ball. Yeah, I did this. But now one of them won't say I got straight A's. You know, because education is the only thing that's going to make you break this cycle of what we believe that everybody hates us, that we hate each other that we can't trust somebody five blocks away from us. So we need to get education, expand our minds, and read. That's my three minutes. My three minutes minutes is is also education, but also learn about the the criminal justice system. Learn about who controls and who impacts your life. You know, how they control and how they can impact your life. Oh, my God. You yeah, because somebody has to put their mute on. Yeah, I, I'm walking away from that now. I had went to the All store. Right. So right. I'm, my, my, my thing is to learn about the criminal justice system. Learn about the people who control your destiny, who make major decisions about mm-hmm. uh, what laws you violated, how you violated. You know what I'm saying? They, they mm-hmm. don't want you to know about the criminal justice system because that's where it starts. You know, when you get arrested, you know, you these uh, TV shows, that depiction of what they give you on the TV shows is nowhere near what is going on in actual reality. You yeah, know, learn exactly. that you got the right to remain silent. Remain silent. You don't have yeah. to talk to them. You don't have yeah. to talk to them. If you got the right to remain silent, utilize yeah. that right. You know, yeah. instead of trying to engage in a conversation with them because they're skilled at manipulation. That's what mm. they're trained to do, to extract mm, information exactly. from you. They've been doing it for years and years and years. So when you want to get in there and think you 
to talk slickly. Think you're going to outthink them and outtalk them. Your best bet is just keep yeah. your mouth shut. That's it, man. You know, yeah. they, down here in Trenton, I got a reputation that's gone now. But when they lock me up, give me my bell and show me myself and let me make my phone call. That yeah. was it. They knew that they wasn't going to get a dime worth of information out of me. Mm. They mm-hmm. see my name, see him, say, oh, yeah. give him his bell. Give him his cell and give him yes. his phone call. And that exactly. was it, because I'm not going to engage. Yeah, I'm not going exactly. to engage, you know? So uh, if you yes. want something out of me, you got to do I just want to say one thing. Hold on, just brother Cezanne, go ahead. Go ahead, brother Cezanne, go ahead. I just want to, you know, let the listeners know that it's important to encourage your kids and to to treat them these these laws while they're young. Help them understand about it, what it is we speaking about, about prison life, prison reform, you know, modern-day slavery. Inform your children on these issues, these concerns. Help your child, you know, learn better to be able to do better in life. Encourage them and show them the love that they need so they won't be out here committing no crimes. And they won't be caught up to the to the injustice to the system. It's very important that we grab hold of our children while we can. So this is something that I just wanted to stress real quick to the community. I also want to thank Brother Reed and all you guys. I want to thank Brother Byron Morant over there at Power Block as well, and Kevin with the Connected. I just you know showing love to all the people who's been a part of this movement and been helping us, you know, make some changes and, and, and being a voice for, for our children, saving children, saving lives, jazz underground, you know, Brother Maxwell, Melvin as well, the life yeah. is good. And I thank yeah. all you brothers and I love you guys. And um, I ask that you continue doing what it is that y'all are doing. And Brother Dino, with your law work, I, I, I would like for you to take um, a minute of my time and, and explain on what it is that these children and or encourage these people how to, to continue to fight instead of just allowing these lawyers to tell them anything. So just explain on that briefly about what it is that they, they need be, to do. Yes. They will be back on again, brother. Yeah, 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 brother. Uh, Tyson. Tonight, but we will be, we, we, they will be back guests again, bro. Yeah, we will have them back, and we got uh, two segments. I got to run through uh, real yeah. quick, um, but the door is always open. This is the platform yeah. for yeah, our community, absolutely. and it was wonderful hearing from you, brothers. But if I may. Just add something to about about our youth and about staying out of prison and what yeah, have absolutely. you. You know, they do, let's make no mistake, people do get railroaded, people get framed, and, and mm-hmm. you know, they shouldn't be there in the first place, all right? But mm-hmm. there is also a responsibility that our children have. Let me use this as an example. When that customer at that McDonald's in that viral video snatched that black Mm -hmm. woman across Mm -hmm. the counter. Mm -hmm. There was a black man standing there, employee the whole time. He tried to get the sister to disengage with the white man. She, And then he went around the corner and he pulled the white man away. 
All right. Mm -hmm. There were people who were saying, if it had been me, I would have did such and such to that white Mm -hmm. man. And like I told them, if it had been you, we'd have been doing a fundraiser to get you out of jail because Mm -hmm. you let your emotions uh, get, get you uh, charges on using excessive yeah. force. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these, yeah. and, and yeah. then other people were criticizing the other people, and like this brother said, look. They always do that. Yeah, the, the other brother said, look, y'all criticizing these brothers because they didn't run around the counter and jump on that white man, but you don't know how many of them was on probation. You don't know anything about these young men. And, and, and so I would say that's a good example right there. Do not let your emotions and what other people think you, how you ought to act, get you in a place that you may not come back from. And that's a good right. analogy you just gave there, my brother. That's a good analogy. Yep. Let them know what you just gave there. That's important for them to know what you just said. Very important. Yeah. Very important. And what? Sister Khadija, is there something you'd like to add, sister? I just want to say I appreciate having this platform so that we can address the real concerns that those um, that are incarcerated face and work on getting some of these uh, laws changed to where... The system yes. not just benefit from it; that the community is benefiting from it. Yes, yes. that we have um, mm-hmm. um, for for those families, the legal resources we have for families. Um, it's mm-hmm. always that there are people out here fighting for rights. And yes. It's also important for the community to educate our Exactly, exactly. That's important. That's important. It's very important for us to engage in community Go ahead, I'm sorry. Know who's out here. So. Pretty much what I want to say, Saving Children, Saving Lives movement is coming to the city where we're dealing with people who are facing with incarcerated children, domestic violence, and neglect. Yes, and we're there, again, for the communities, not just for those that are incarcerated. And i just like to say to a lot of our, this is Maxwell Melvin, a lot of our young brothers and sisters out there, don't worry about it. Change is not going to happen overnight. Change is not straight. It's fast. Mm-hmm. It's going to have many twists and turns in it, just like it took me to the level of where I've gotten at. At the age 19, it might just take me just as long to undo those long-term thinking patterns that I've learned and was taught. So, you know, stay focused, stay encouraged, and realize that change is not going to happen. Some of us are afraid of change. You don't need to be afraid of change. Hmm. You know, it's the best thing for you to do. We're here. We have this platform now, and we're just starting off, but it's going to be very beautiful. We're going to give evidence-based practices and different things on how we can really bring each other together in the community together. And uh, this is a privilege and an honor to be able to be a host on this show right here, and we're going to make that connection. All right. Thank you, Brother Maxwell. Um, We're getting ready to close out the show, but before we do, we have two segments we would like to share with you. Recently released from prison slavery, which is someone who recently got out of prison or was exonerated, you know, getting them out of prison. But tonight we want to welcome to freedom Centoya Brown. Uh, Centoya Denise Brown was born January the 29th in 1988. She is a woman who was convicted of the murder and robbery of Johnny Mitchell 
Allen. Her story is detailed as she was a victim of sexual trafficking out there in the streets, but her story is detailed in the film, Me Facing Life, Centoya Story, a 2011 documentary by filmmaker Dan Berman. After renewed interest in her case in 2018, the governor of Tennessee commuted her sentence on, um, on January um, in January 2019, this this month, um, to 15 years. She was scheduled for her release on August the 7th, 2019, so she should be home now, and we at New Abolitionist Radio want to welcome her to freedom. Um, and our last um, bit of information we want to share with you, we always give pay homage to the abolitionists who came before us, whose whose footsteps we are walking in because slavery was never abolished. The 13th Amendment says that they can put you, that slavery has been abolished except as punishment for crime, which our guests have just been talking about this entire time on tonight's broadcast, um, the slavery that exists behind the bars. But our past abolitionist in profile tonight is Lucretia Mott. She was born January the 3rd, 1793, and she transitioned from this life on November the 11th, 1880. She was a U.S. Quaker, an abolitionist, and a women's rights activist, and an anti-racist reformer. Like many Quakers, Mott considered slavery to be evil, inspired in part by her minister, Elias Hicks. She and other Quakers refused to use cotton cloth, cane sugar, and other slavery-produced goods. In 1821, she became a Quaker minister with her husband's support. She traveled extensively as a minister, and her sermons emphasized the Quaker inward light or the presence of the divine within every individual. Her sermons also included her free produce and anti-slavery sentiments. In 1833, her husband helped found the American Anti-Slavery Society. By then, an experienced minister and abolitionist, Lucretia Mott was the only woman to speak at the organization meeting in Philadelphia. She tested the language of the society's constitution and bolstered support when many delegates were precarious. Days after the conclusion of the convention, at the urging of other delegates, Mott and other white and black women founded the Philadelphia Female anti-slavery society. Integrated from its founding, the organization opposed both slavery and racism and developed close ties to Philadelphia's black community. Mott herself often preached only at black parishes. Around this time, my sister-in-law, Abigail Lydia, my inner brother-in-law, Lindley Murray Moore, were helping to found the Rochester Anti-Slavery Society. And you can read more about her, just look up her name, on the internet, uh, her name is Lucretia Mott and New Abolitionist Radio salutes her and all our abolitionists of the past. On behalf of our panel and our special guest, I am your moderator and technical producer, Scotty Reed, and I want to thank you all for joining us tonight, and please share this information with those that can use it. Peace and blessing to all. Good night. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day on 
Stop fighting. 